0: About two weeks ago, Julie and I were in the process of seeing other people who were in our family who don't live in this area. Brooke lives in Ohio, and so she gave birth to their first son, Callan. And so we went to see her in Ohio. We went from point A to point B. After that, we went to Michigan to see your mom's like three hours away. So we went to point C. So we're in this process of seeing people that we were related to. Now, that's kind of a factual, non-emotional, actually somewhat disappointing way to describe a trip with my wife. Wouldn't you say? Like, Todd, is this like a chemical reaction or something? Here, here's the reason we were engaged in that process from point A to point B to point C. And all the stops in between, and where to stay, and where to eat, and what to get. All those things involved in the process, it's because of a posture that family matters. Now, that sounds a lot more uh, pleasing, doesn't it? Oh, so your family is a priority. So that's why you engaged in this process. Exactly. I tell you that because I think those two words... Are really what's happening in Philippians four 1. There is a process in view, but it's not the main thing. The real focus is a posture in view, and I want to show you both of those this morning. So, with your Bibles, find Philippians chapter four verse one. We'll look at just one verse this week. This verse that is both a process, secondarily, but primarily a posture. It's also a concluding verse. It's also an opening verse. It's a summary and a starting point. This is all in this singular verse, and I want us to see it this morning from our lab. So your journals are there, your Bibles are open, you've got a pen handy. Let's follow along together and kind of dissect this verse unpack it a bit and see how these two words affect our understanding of this singular verse. In fact, will you read this out loud with me? Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 together, church. So then, my dearly loved and longed for, brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, a first initial reaction Would be to possibly see that the main part of this verse is that in a certain manner we are to stand firm in the Lord. That's kind of the thing that draws your attention off the bat. Okay, here's the verse, and there's a certain way we're to stand firm in the Lord. And when you see that, you might think to yourself, oh, I've seen this phrase in the Lord before. And so he kind of takes you back to 3 1, where he said to, Rejoice in the Lord. And so a student of the Bible may look at this and say, Oh, I see what he's doing. There's something that starts in 3 1 and then something now in 4 1 that seems very similar. You're, you're rejoicing the Lord. And now he says to stand firm in the Lord, which by the way, stand firm means to endure, to persevere. Here's a word remain, don't move, don't budge, stay fixed. So perhaps your mind initially would think, Oh, he's speaking here of a process. Going from rejoicing in the Lord to remaining in the Lord, standing firm. You may think this imperative here in 4 1 serves as a ladder bookend to the first bookend in 3 1. So you may see this as a process. That's actually where I struggled for a number of days about a week and a half ago. I was just reviewing this verse for today and just letting it kind of digest on my heart, but I was stuck. I couldn't connect the dots. I was like, how does this process work? How do we get from re, uh, rejoicing in the Lord to standing firm or remaining in the Lord? And I noticed the words in the Lord, you know, they were common in both. So I kind of saw them as, as like a, uh, um, a bracket between all that was in the middle. And, and then one morning, very early, the Holy Spirit just awoke me. In the of my mind i've been reading the book over and over and just trying to think what's you know what's really going on here and the holy spirit said you're asking the wrong question it's not a process todd i'm after a posture i remember just vividly just waking up and thinking that's the answer i don't know if you've had moments like that where sometimes my best thinking is done when i'm asleep at least i think i'm sleeping and there's some of the best thoughts, the best clarity, like, oh, now I get it. So I jumped out of bed, wrote some things down. And I remember as I was reading back through the book in those days that really the word stand firm, it refers back to something well before 3-1. It goes to 127. In fact, if you look back at 127, that's the first mention of the phrase standing firm. So then I realized, oh, what he's after here? It's not a process of moving between... Rejoicing and remaining. I'm I'm thinking sequentially, and that's not what he's after. He's really thinking of a posture of, 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 of fixed, you know, of a fixed nature. You're not budging. He calls for the church in 127 to stand firm in one spirit together. Now he calls them to stand firm in the Lord. And then I realized what's in between those two postures is the concept of rejoicing. In fact, Watch this. You even find rejoicing mentioned in 2.17. So he says, stand firm in one twenty seven. He says, stand firm in 4.1. And what's between those two? Rejoicing, rejoicing. And watch this. Even in 4.4 and 4.10, he says, rejoice and rejoice. So here's the posture he's after. Don't budge from the gospel. Stand firm in the Lord together. And then, watch this, that produces rejoicing. See, in my mind, I had to flip because I was too narrow in my scope. I was just bracketing off 3-1 to 4-1, thinking, okay, starts with rejoicing, goes to remaining, there must be a process. And the Lord said, no, no, the, the larger scope is that I'm trying to get these partners through Paul, inspired by Paul, of course, in this, this book, to stay fixed on the gospel. Don't budge in your position, your posture. And when you stay fixed in your gospel posture, that's then the process for experiencing joy. So it is a posture and a process, but one's more important than the other. And often the reason we don't experience the joy talked about throughout Philippians it's because we're not focused on the posture stated in Philippians. We don't know the joy of the Lord because we are not standing firm in the Lord. Now, let me just make sure this is also clear from our text. Philippians 4:1 is a word, excuse me, is a verse that does look backwards as I've mentioned here in Illustrated, it looks backward. I think the idea of in this manner, he's talking about what he's already said. Being selfless, Christ-focused, thinking of others, all the concepts in 2 and 3, that's the manner in which you stand firm. You believe in true, biblical, authentic Christianity. You don't count your works as part of the equation. You know it's by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, period. So all of that's involved in this manner of standing firm. We don't budge. So it looks back. I think grammatically and thematically, it's hard to deny that Philippians 4 is looking back. This is the way we stand firm. However, I can't sit here and say to you that it doesn't look forward a little bit, too. Because as chapter 4 unfolds, he does begin to plead with two women to get along. He thanks them for their gifts to the church and shows how he's content through everything and promises them, assures them God will meet their needs. And so there's a sense in which he's encouraging their posture to affect their behavior. So Philippians 4 verse 1, the reason we chose a singular verse is because it's really is a hinge verse for much of the book. It looks back and says, this is how we stay put in our gospel posture, which is the process for becoming joyful. But it also looks forward and says, by the way, it will affect your relationships. It will affect your perspective. It will affect your confidence. So it's a it's a beautiful hinge verse. And that's why today I wanted to take some time just to unpack this one singular verse that shows us that, yes, The posture of remaining is what he's after. Remaining in the gospel, fixed on true, genuine Christian doctrine. But that is, in itself, the process that produces rejoicing. So I want you to hear this this morning, plain and simple, just cut and dry. Your posture on the gospel is more important than just a vague pursuit of joy. A lot of times we think about, how do I become joyful? What's the process for that? How can I find happiness? And we think about sequence and moving and hunting and chasing and pursuing, when really the answer to a joyful lifestyle is one of a fixed posture. I'm going to rest fully in all that God has done for me in Christ. That's where the joy comes from. How about I put it to you in a simple sentence? I'm getting here in a hurry this morning because I have a couple of more things to share. Don't get your hopes up that I'll be short today, okay? But I do want to get to the take-home truth quick because this is singular verse. I think it's beautiful and lovely points forward, points backwards. But it does tell us that posture matters more than process. In fact, it tells us that the posture is the process. Here's the simple take-home truth that I would say really summarizes this verse with the context in mind. That joy between partners, remember the Philippian church and Paul, Paul planted the church. This was probably his, can I use the word appropriately, his favorite church. Uh, This this book's written 10 years after he planted. They've been faithful in giving. They were the ones who were first to give. They were uh, ones who continued to give. They just were very close friends. And so joy between partners is the result of remaining unmoved in our gospel posture. This is why posture is more important than process. This is why the posture is the process. And if you are looking for joy, the key is not to figure out how to pursue, hunt, chase, track down. The key is to stay put on the gospel. Don't budge from the truth once and for all delivered to the saints. Keep your feet cemented the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, and was raised again, and on this we stand. That's what produces joy. Will you say this? Take home truth with me. Joy between partners is the result of remaining unmoved in our gospel posture. I mean, in a very applicational way, I'll just share this simple um, hypothetical with you. You receive a lot of joy when you hear years after someone is born again, that they're they're still seeking the Lord and that they're still remaining faithful in their commitments, that, that God has grown them and matured them, that they are, are being fruitful. Their life is showing evidence of truly belonging to Christ. That's those moments when you smile. You're like, oh, I remember when they got saved. That brings a lot of joy to your heart. You know what brings hurt and sorrow and pain? Is when you hear that, oh, I I thought they said they were a Christian, but oh, what's happened now? They no longer believe, or they're saying that they, and they have all these stories of rejection or abandonment. You know, that, that does not bring joy, does it, between you and that person you knew? So we know this is a true principle. We've experienced it. Here it is now inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the pen of the Apostle Paul, that it's that posture of staying fixed on the gospel that really produces the joy that we're after. And this explains why in chapter 3 he spent so much time just laying out true biblical um, Christianity, calling on them to make sure that they're aware of those who try to twist it and to you know resist them and to stay faithful why he mentions Christ in chapter two is the epitome of all the examples of selflessness because Christ life and death and resurrection is the fuel for us to live selflessly. This verse looks backward and forward and explains it all. And the very thing that, that all of us are looking for deep abiding, genuine joy is the result of, of deep abiding genuine gospel posture staying put not deconstructing or running holding fast to the faithful word you know why I take joy in this because I there's not a lot I can do I can't fix cars I can't change oil I can't build houses. I can't write code. I really do about one or two things. I hope I'm a good husband, a good father, and a decent preacher. That's about the only three things I can do. I can't cook. I can hardly make toast, okay? I I just don't do a lot, but I can do those three things pretty well, and I can stay put pretty well. You know that? When Jesus said, here's my last words, here's the gospel, don't budge. I got that. I can keep my feet in one place and not budge that's why i like this like it's not calling for a ton of talent i don't need a lot of skill i just need to know the truth and stay put and i for one plan to do that to my last breath because that's where the joy comes from amen church Now, this may sound like a declaration without a lot of explanation to you. Frankly, that's exactly and primarily what it is. (laughs) There are moments that preachers proclaim. They declare. This is what Scripture does. It's a proclamation. This verse is a culmination of a line of thought from 127 all the way to 4.1. It's the peak of a mental hike. It's the apex of Paul's intent for multiple chapters. And it's clearly this, stay put on the gospel because that's where joy is found, fought for, and forged. So let's not let our feet be moved. Amen? Now, before I make some application, read it one more time with me, would you? Joy between partners is the result of remaining unmoved in our gospel posture. Now, with that in mind, I want to take some time to show you what I think is the cherry, or maybe you'd say strawberry, or maybe you'd say extra chocolate chips, on top of this delicious triple scoop of chocolate almond ice cream, Philippians 4.1. It's delicious. It's a beautiful verse. It makes your mouth water when you think about all the truth packed in there and the promises it contains. What I like, though, is that Paul actually here gives us a couple of ways that we are that that we actually remain fixed, unmoved, that we stay put, that we hold our posture. Now, there's subtle references, but as we kept just digging in this verse and letting it kind of flood over us as we digested it, I think they begin to surface a couple of, can I call them hints in the verse that give us some how-tos regarding our gospel posture. Let me bring this to you as we land this plane. Understand this, that a gospel posture is, first of all, a relational issue. Say it with me. Relational issue. In other words, The issue of spiritual family, it must have a priority in your life if you're going to experience the unity that it promises. So a gospel posture is a relational issue. I draw this from the six titles Paul gives this church. Do you see there in verse 1? Look with me. He calls them dearly loved longed for, brothers and sisters, my joy, my crown, and dear friends. That's a lot of familial, very endearing language, isn't it? And you may say there's only five there. I've noticed some commentators disagree on how many are there. I'm pretty comfortable with six. Some combine some things and go five or four Uh where you land on that does not affect the point of these titles and of these labels, of these terms. Paul here uses a number of things consecutively to say, you matter greatly to me. Dearly loved, I mean, not just loved, but dearly loved. By the way he modifies it, they're longed for saying he wants to see them. He calls them his spiritual brothers and sisters he talks about them as his joy and also his crown one here probably refers to like a heavenly reward and one here refers to perhaps that wreath that an olympic champion might receive uh, on the earth so he's saying horizontally on this earth i see you as a great reward but also vertically in heaven eternally you'll be a, a reward he calls them dear friends I'm not sure if there's another place in the New Testament where Paul strings together so many um, words to describe his love for a church. Paul saw these folks as his spiritual family. And so let me just, as bluntly as I can, say this to you. We are a spiritually... Collective and spiritually, genetically connected group of kinfolk. Okay. Brian, we're brothers. Ted, we're brothers. Look around the room with their names. Kevin, we're brothers. Emma, you're my sister. I mean, that that changes things when you have an issue with someone. Because in families, you can't run and hide. You can't say, well, I'm never going back. When my kids had a problem with each other, one didn't move out. He was eight. She's four. It doesn't matter if he's 16. He didn't take the car and say, I'll see you next year. No, you come to the table and we work it out because we're related. For some reason in the American culture, we've lost the concept of what it means to be spiritual kinfolk. And when the least problem occurs, we just find another family. The problem is, it's actually one large family. Now, I don't think it's wrong that there's different expressions of that family in a city. I think we find some of that in the New Testament as well. If you go to the book of Titus, uh, there seem to be multiple expressions on the island of Crete. And Titus's job was to appoint elders in each of these places. My point is is not a geographical one. My point is that when you leave or someone leaves and comes here or someone leaves from here to go there and there hasn't been the right type of leaving, all you're doing is taking baggage to another part of our family or you're bringing baggage to another part of our family. And in the end, if that builds up, it's just dysfunction. Here's what I say to a lot of our newcomers, like every single person has some luggage. I've got luggage. Julie knows all about it. She's got luggage. I know hers. We just say this. Try to keep your luggage packed well. Like, don't carry suitcases suitcase around. Your underwear is strewn everywhere and falling out. Like, that's not helpful, right? So whatever bags you have, let's pack them well. We've all got them. It's part of being in a family. We don't just run. We don't hide. We work things out. Brothers talk to brothers, sisters talk to sisters, sisters talk to brothers, brothers talk to sisters. We sit down, we figure out, okay, how can we navigate this together? I also find an intrigue in the New Testament that Paul talks often about that there are those in a body that are like mothers and fathers. I think he's there speaking of like older people. So there's a relationship there that some of our younger folks look to older folks like a parent, a spiritual parent. And so there's expectations that go both ways in that. Here's all I'm trying to say to you. The reason Paul, I believe, goes to great lengths to talk about his love for them, and these words indicate deep companionship, uh, a family relationship, a strong kin connection, is because he's saying to them, in this desire and effort not to budge from gospel posture your family can help you stay put they're part of the process of not abandoning the faith turning your back on what you've believed your family should hold your feet to the fire we do this in love but we do this right church in fact, perhaps even right now, some of you are thinking of a name. You're thinking, I should text them today. Ought to call them. I haven't seen them in six months. I haven't talked to them in a year. and Or I heard that they were now, and your heart is grieved. It's not joyful. It's, it's grieving. Instead of saying, well, somebody else will probably do that. Why not pick up the phone? Why not take your phone? Why not? email why not do something to reach out and say hey how how's it going i haven't seen you in a while how, how are you doing spiritually and let's hold each other's feet to the fixed position of a gospel posture that's what families do now maybe your question is this well how do you join this family there's a real simple answer to that listen very carefully Spiritual birth. You see, you may have been wondering, how do you join this family, as in this local expression, what we call a church, a collection of Christ followers who've agreed together to walk together? That's a good question, but that's not the question I actually meant. I want to know if you're wondering, how do you join this family just in general? like How do you become part of God's family? And the answer is, spiritually is the same as it is physically. If I were to ask you, how do you join a family? There's adoption. You're right, which is a spiritual truth as well. We're adopted in Christ's family. But the general answer is you're born into a family, right? That's the general acceptable answer. You're born into a family. It's a biological thing, typically. Spiritually, the same thing's true. You are born into God's family. You're birthed into his family by the Holy Spirit. It's called regeneration, the new birth. And I think that's why the next phrase gives us the second element to maintaining a gospel posture. Look what he says. He says to these people that he loves, he longs for, there is brothers and sisters, there is joy's crown, there is just friends, all these things that relate to us, close, intimate connection and kinship. He says they're to stand firm in the Lord. So it's not just a relational issue, it is a theological issue as well. In other words, clarity of faith matters. You see, our practice as family members is important. In staying fixed in the gospel, in not moving, in not budging, our practice is important. I would never say it's not, but our practice hinges on our position that we are actually in the Lord. This is why I say that clarity of faith matters. So in the relational issue, the fact that we're in the same family, that needs to be a priority in your life. And then you'll begin to experience the unity that comes from that. But that will never happen if you're not in the Lord. If you've not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, experienced conversion and adoption into Christ's family, if if the theological issue of being born again saved by God through Christ, if that's never occurred, you'll never really experience the relational aspects of God's family, because it is, first and foremost, a matter of position that's necessary to inform our practice. It's much like posture and process. And often folks wonder why they don't seem to get along in the church or enjoy church or can't work through difficult things at church. And, and often, you know what it is? It's not really a practice issue at all. It's a position issue. They're actually not in the Lord. They're not actually regenerated. They've never been born again into God's family. So they're trying to pretend And often they mean well. They're they're, they're perhaps not even aware they've never been saved. They're just kind of following cultural um, pointers like, well, I think you should get into a church. Or you're supposed to belong to some kind of civic group. A church is a good idea. Let's go there. Or you're supposed to get some good, you know, like suggestions each week. So feel better about yourself. Like, Let's just go to that church. I think that's where that happens. So they mean well until they hear someone talk about how we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and only Christ saves and that. And I don't really like to hear that very much. I'll find a new little civic group. Maybe there's another church somewhere that'll make me feel better. And and the truth is, they're they're having a hard time practicing being a family member because they're really not in the family. They've not solved or settled the theological issue. There's no clarity of faith. And when there's not a clarity of faith, true regeneration, there will be uh, confusion in practice. The last couple of weeks I've had some interesting moments in witnessing to people and in all frankness I think the Lord has just uh, given me some extra opportunities I'm not great at it to be frank with you I struggle like you do in witnessing uh, I have great intentions I like to think I do it a lot but the truth is I probably don't and I'm like you the minute it's available I find it difficult to cross the threshold and to say the words and to get them out of my mouth one such happened a few weeks ago i was with a gentleman and julie was there who's about to have um, actually was in the middle of some of, of an illness a severe uh, fatal illness and he only had a certain amount of time and i was praying for him at the end and before i prayed i said could i just ask you a question and i immediately got so nervous my tongue got tied my lips got dry I could hardly swallow. And so I just said, do you mind if I just share with you how the Lord is pleased with us? And he said, sure. And so I shared what I hope was the the gospel. I think it was the gospel. But then I just looked at him and he was staring at me. And I said, has there been a time in your life when you put your faith in Jesus? And he just stared at me. it It felt like 10 minutes. I think it was maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds. But. Julie and I are both standing there. I'm like, uh, what do we do now? I just I felt awkward. And I'm like, uh, I would love to sit here and say it went great. I don't know. It went great. All I know is finally I said, do you want to? I just kind of like almost sheepishly, like, I think that's what we're supposed to say now. And he said, sure. So I'm here to be very frank with you. I hope it was genuine. I don't know um i don't think i did a very good job in that moment in fact when we left i said honey i don't think you might actually get saved on that on what i just said and and we both said well fortunately god's spirit blows where it wants to blow amen so i don't know but all i did i said i said well why don't you just say this after me and it's not the words it's the posture of your heart but if you really want to trust christ here's what you can tell him so we prayed there together and um i really hope he was born again i don't know is that okay to say to you my point is this in that moment it wasn't important to ask where's your church membership the question to ask is do you know jesus do you have clarity about your standing before the lord that was my heart i said i just want to know you're going to probably meet God in a few months. Do you know that you belong to God? Apparently he didn't. I hope he does now. Only the Lord knows, but we try to be faithful in that moment, even though we, I don't think I was very skilled at it. it. We'll trust the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then recently I was um, uh, selling my truck, and I was getting no bites marketplace anywhere and so I you know kept lowering the price that's how you do it right so I'm crossing the street to the front door one day and my neighbor comes over and says you selling your truck I'm like uh I sure am well we got into this negotiation he ended up buying it by the way but in the course of the conversation uh, I gave him a tract I had we were by the front door and I was just talking to him I said hey um have have you seen this before have you ever read this he said oh no I said, it's the story of Christ, and how he came to live for us, and he died in our place. And I don't know if you ever heard that. He goes, I'm Catholic. I said, oh. I said, well, and I went right to the good work theory. I said, you know, uh, it's not how good we are. It's because Christ was perfect. He said, well, I, I'm really hoping I'm good. He said this with a lot different accent, okay, but I'm not one trying to imitate that for you. <laughs> uh, but he said, I, I, I'm doing the best I can. Hope I'm good enough. And so I just again rehearsed, and he said to me, "My wife needs to hear this." <laughs> that's what he said, and I'm like, "Okay." So I went over to his house. I gave her a tract. Nothing came of that as of yet. My point is, it was an opportunity to ask them, "Hey, do you have clarity with the Lord? Like, do you belong to God?" That's what I'm getting at. I'm not great at it. I'm stumbling in my words, but I think that's the key question we need to ask people. So can I just take a moment? I'm much more comfortable here with you. Do you belong to God? I didn't ask you if you belong to this church or another church as a member of a physical building or organization. I want to know, spiritually speaking, do you have clarity about your standing before God? That if you were to meet your maker today, you know now that God would say, welcome home. Because you've placed faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to have your sins forgiven. You're not depending on your works, your pedigree or degree. You're not trusting your good things. You're simply trusting Jesus. As the only way you can say to God, I'm forgiven and I'm righteous because of Jesus. Do you have clarity on that? If you don't, you won't remain in a gospel posture. Because you're probably not in a great one right now. You're probably still kind of shifting your feet around, like, where do I land? Where do I stand? Why don't we settle, like 1 Corinthians 15 says, where to land? We land in one place that Jesus Christ came, lived, and died, and was raised again, and by this we are saved. That's where we land. And so to all who right now don't have clarity, I just would pastorally plead with you in this very moment in your seat, ask God to save you through Jesus trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as the only way to be born again the Holy Spirit will will blow on your life he'll save you you'll trust Jesus you'll be adopted into his family justified by his grace and then you'll begin to be uh, on the road to joy because your posture is fixed and the process then will then unfold so clarity of faith and then priority of family, spiritual family. Those are two elements in maintaining a gospel posture. And so I want to say to you this morning, while you agree with the take-home truth, and you should, it's Philippians 4.1. We should say amen to that proclamation. Understand this, that you will experience it to the degree that you prioritize your spiritual family and have great clarity about your faith. My sense is probably all of us in this room need help in one of those areas. Either clarity with our standing before God. Are you sure that you belong to God through Jesus? And by the way, this is an appropriate question. I think it's in the Corinthian epistles where Paul actually says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So it's not wrong for pastors to ask us to examine ourselves. The other thing is, are you prioritizing your spiritual family? Because you will understand the unity of it when you give it the right priority. One last story before I close. Last week, right on this front row... A young man sat here and cried through most of the service. I wasn't here. Pastor Travis spoke. I heard about this later in the week. He came maybe a few months ago for a few weeks, experienced a a real God move in his life, and then he hit upon a personal trial, and so he quit. Didn't see him or hear from him. Some folks reached out. Last week, some of our campus collective students really reached out in a more passionate way. One of them even said, hey, I'll be there at the service and I'll be on the front row. You better join me. And he came back. He came home. He returned to the shepherd and bishop of his soul. That's what Peter says. You know why that happened? It's because of his faith and his family his feet were having some struggles but they didn't run too far the strong arm of the lord pulled him back through the means of brothers and sisters who cared about it are you with me he was here last week weeping his eyes out god man forgive me i'm saying to you if you want joy then the posture is one of being fixed on the gospel, and that is experienced when we prioritize our spiritual family and make sure we have great clarity about our faith. What do you say we focus on our posture? Standing firm in the Lord so that we will experience the joy of the Lord.